Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. George Norrie with you along with Robert Farrell, the science behind alien encounters. Robert, what do you think our religious people will do if and when governments start to disclose about the UFO existence? Well, how, how do you think they're going to tell us the flock? Uh, well, my experience when I talk to people who are very religious is they think it's the work of the devil. And I, my fear is that when the disclosure occurs and the UFOs land on the White House lawn, um, I think it won't be good for, for some of the groups of religions uh, where in the past some groups have actually committed suicide. Oh, gee, yeah, well, that's true. They have. Yeah, and, and in fact, that's why I think I'm doing what I'm doing and, and out there trying to prepare people so it's not a shock, so that they don't jump off the cliff. And and uh, one of the, about the only uh, group that I know of religiously that's actively been trying to prepare its flock is the Catholic Church. Um, Monsignor Balducci, the late Monsignor Monsignor Balducci, mm-hmm. uh, I think was was on a mission to do just that. He was on Rome Radio a number of times talking about the possibility that there's other life out there, that they're humans. And uh, and then in 2005, I saw him speak at the uh, uh, Disclosure Conference outside of Washington. <clears throat> and uh, again, he was the keynote speaker. So I think the Catholic Church is trying to prepare people for that. Uh, the other ones, I, I don't know, and I think they need to step in and, and really start uh, explaining, you know, the, the fact that there's other life on other planets is not excluded by the Bible, and we just need to take a different interpretation, perhaps, of what's written in the Bible. Uh, because otherwise, I think for some groups, it will be quite a shock, and we have to prepare them for that. That's what I've been doing, I think, for number of years now. Well, what the Catholic Church started doing, too, is they were telling people the belief in extraterrestrial life does not negate one's belief in God. They were kind of like paving the way that there's something coming. That's right. Exactly. Now, you have talked about the the gravitational fields and the propulsion systems and how these UFOs are. How did you come to this understanding? Well, uh, you know, when, you, when you're trying to analyze something, you, you get all the data you can, you lay it out. And as I pointed out earlier, I, I didn't have the ability to actually put my hands on a crashed UFO. Um, but the evidence that's out there, and there's a lot of it, is the testimony of people who've seen them do things. And so what I did is I just wrote down all the things that, uh, that they can do. For instance, high G maneuvers is top of the list. They, they've been seen doing right-angle turns. Uh, they can do supersonic speed without producing a shock wave. Uh, they can even travel through water at very high speed. Um, when they're around metallic objects, sometimes they move them, you know, like in the uh, <laughs> close encounter of the third kind, if you recall, the mailboxes started moving. They can do that. Mm-hmm. They can change color. Um, and... There's a, there's a whole list of things that they can do, and I, I wrote out that list, and I said, well, now, what's the best hypothesis for this? And, and gravity, being able to produce a gravitational field, solves all of that. Now, did they have to have some kind of special apparatus within the craft to be able to do this? Or are they tapping into something else? 
No, uh, I think they actually do this. According to Einstein's uh, general field theory, uh, there's there's a possibility that there's an interaction between uh, electric fields, magnetic fields, and gravitational fields. And um, throughout our history in technology, we've been playing around with the connection between electric and magnetic fields. And just recently now, the last couple decades, people have been playing around with the connection between electric and gravitational fields and also magnetic and gravitational fields. And uh, and the theory says that there should be a possibility of creating a gravitational field by manipulating electromagnetic fields. And in fact, uh, the fact that light, which is an electromagnetic field, is bent when it passes through a gravitational field, and that's called gravitational lensing. (laughs) <laughs> and astronomers use that all the time. Um, so, it, my my reasoning is if if uh, gravity can uh, affect electromagnetic fields, then why why can't you do the reverse? And so, I believe they are creating a gravitational field by manipulating either electric or magnetic or both fields to actually create a gravitational field. And in fact, I believe it's a negative field, which is something we don't have too much experience with. But uh, some of the testimony, witness testimony, uh, on what they've seen these things do, would say that it's probably a negative field. For instance, there's a photograph I've seen where a UFO is just taking off. It's about one diameter off the ground, and Mm -hmm. it's picking up dust. And it's very easy to see a clear spot underneath the the craft. And so if you visualize that there's a, a negative field pushing the craft up, at the same time, it's pushing everything else down. It's expelling air underneath it, causing a low-pressure region and, and expelling the dust. So that that's kind of an indication there's a negative field under the craft. <clears throat> there's also an incident, at least once, where uh, people have come across an area, a shallow pond, where they had just seen a UFO hovering, and uh, the pond is frozen. And it happens to be it's, it's, it's not freezing weather. You know, it's, it's normal weather. So how did it freeze the pond? Well, again, if you have a negative field under the craft as it hovers, uh, it will expel air. In other words, create a low-pressure zone under the craft. And if you know, if you put if you expose a water to low pressure, it starts evaporating very fast, maybe even boiling. And as those molecules are leaving the pond, they're taking energy with them. And so the rest of the pond is getting colder and colder and colder, and eventually it freezes. So those are some of the things that point to the fact that they actually are, are using a negative field. Uh, another another example would be how they can go supersonic speeds without creating a shock. So we can't do that because we rely on the pressure that's building up in front of the craft when we fly through the air. The faster we go, the higher the pressure. And I think of that, it's kind of like a signal up ahead for the molecules to get out of the way. We're coming. But that can only work up to the speed of sound. And at that point, you can't warn them. And you get they crash into you and you get the shockwave. Well, if you could warn them by some other methods like a negative field, that would it's not limited to the speed of sound these these molecules can start getting out of the way sooner and you don't have a shock wave and, and in fact that same principle can be used if you decide you want to dive into the water 
Well, you you just jump into the water. You know, you bring your craft into the water, and, and it expels the water around you. So you can travel underwater just as easily as you can travel in the air. So this is all evidence for a negative field. Um, and the the evidence for gravity field in general is is the fact that they can do high G maneuvers that would kill people. Oh yeah, Anything there's no way a human being could handle that. Right, but in, if you have a gravitational field propulsion, uh, there's a lot of benefits to that. One of which is not only is the craft being accelerated, but everything in it is accelerating. In my lecture, I, I give a, a a thought experiment, you might say, and and I have a volunteer from the audience agree to go into this nose cone of a B2 rocket, and and I give him a cell phone and. I light the fuse and off they go. So we're talking back and forth. And I say, well, now, uh, how's it going? And they say, well, I'm being held down on my couch by 4G. My G-meter says it's 4Gs. So I'm watching, and, and all of a sudden the flame sputters out, but the, the rocket keeps coasting upward. And I ask them, well, now what's happening? And they say, well, um, my G-meter says 0Gs, and I'm tending to float in my cockpit. And, and I'm watching, and now the craft is falling. And I call back and I say, what's happening now? Oh, nothing's changed. I'm still floating in the cabinet and the G meter says zero. I said, well, no, actually, you're accelerating at 1G. And if we did this experiment on Jupiter, you'd be accelerating at 40 Gs. But you're free falling. So if you have gravity field propulsion, one of the big advantages is you can accelerate at any rate you want because you simply free fall either into that field or in the case of a negative field, you free fall away from it. Uh, so that's just one of the advantages of that. The other is, with field propulsion, you don't have to carry thousands and thousands of pounds of fuel that you can throw out the back end to create thrust. You don't need that. You don't need that at all. Just you and the craft that need to be accelerated. And you can go on and on and on for hours and hours and hours. You don't ever run out of fuel. So if you want to get out of the solar system, you're not going to do it with chemical rockets. You've got to have gravitational field propulsion. And being able to accelerate at high Gs for an extended period of time, 100 Gs, 1,000 Gs, whatever you want, will allow you to get up to very high velocities very quickly. And as you approach the speed of light, of course, you get time dilation. So if you wanted to go to the nearest star, which is four light years away, uh, and you accelerate fast enough, you might, uh, according to the calendar on your craft, might say, well, this only took a day. And so you, you take a look. There's the star. Yeah, that's great. Let's go home. So you turn around and go back home. Well, that was only two days. When you land, uh, the whole world is eight years ahead of you. You just did time travel. Interesting take. Now, I had a call during Open Lines last Friday, Robert, from someone who asked an interesting question. And he said, if these UFOs don't really want to be known or seen, why are they always lit up? How do you answer that? Yes, well, that all is a function of how they are creating the gravitational field. Uh, a friend of mine, he's passed away, unfortunately, but he and a colleague presented a peer-reviewed paper at a, a propulsion conference at a, a multi-discipline like uh, AIAA, Aeronautical, uh, Aeronautical Institutes. Uh, but it was a peer-reviewed paper in, and by a number of group of engineering people. Okay, I, I'm an engineer, so engineers are okay. But anyway, uh, what they were proposing is that if you were to beam uh, a high-frequency electromagnetic wave 
uh, between two parallel plates that are highly reflective. And if you could have the right frequency for the right wavelength, um, as these photons are bouncing back and forth, when they strike the surface, uh, they actually get converted into, uh, if, if you're talking particle theory, they'd be uh, converted into gravitons. And so you begin radiating gravitons, which actually propel you through space. That's how you get your propulsion, your field propulsion. It's gravitons that were created by beaming this electromagnetic energy between parallel plates. <clears throat> However, it's not 100% efficient. And so if it, your craft is just hovering, uh, you, you don't have a lot of waste energy because the waste energy is released in the form of uh, infrared in, in one case, but it's, it, the craft actually starts glowing. And if it's hovering, it's hardly glowing at all. But when it decides to accelerate, now it's, it's really kicking in the juice there and uh, it starts glowing brighter and brighter because it's accelerating. So uh, th that's just a, a fact that uh, the process they're using to create the gravitational fields is not 100% efficient. There is some waste energy that is expelled in the form of light. And the faster the, the faster they're accelerating, <clears throat> the, the brighter the light. Why aren't they interacting with us, though? Uh, there's, uh, <clears throat> well, for one thing, would you, <laughs> if you were out there no. and observing us for thousands of years and saw us annihilate 60 million people, would you do that? Probably not. That's a good reason. Uh, but there's a couple other reasons. Uh, one is that... Uh, well, what do they want then, Robert? If they're not interacting with us, what do they want, in your opinion? I think uh, they're overseeing the planet. You know, maybe they would assign this as a project. To, well, if, Sitch, if Sitchin was correct and they seeded us, then we're basically yeah. their offspring, right? Well, I, I believe he's right. There's a lot of evidence for, for that, that uh, we are uh, genetically attached to whatever aliens, Anunnaki in this case, uh, that created us. But so, so they would have uh, a reason, maybe, because they have an interest in us, maybe they love us. And uh, some people call them the watchers. And so they're watching over the planet. And, and in my science fiction book, there's a conversation between a human and aliens to uh, you know, the, the the aliens say, well, you know, we've watched, uh, first of all, aliens can live as long as they want. So the, uh, a thousand-year project is nothing for them. So they're watching over the Earth. And uh, so the human says, well, didn't that disturb you when you saw us have a war? And and the alien said, well, you know, it did. But we kind of have a directive not to interfere in, in whenever we come across the planet that has a developing life form, uh, we, we're not supposed to interfere. They, they just have to work it out. It's like parents when their kids are fighting. They have two kids that are fighting. You kind of have to let them work it out. And so that's as, as much as it hurts them to see that, I think, they just felt that they had to be hands off. Well, yeah, yeah, but as a parent, you step in. At some point, you step in. And I think that's where we are now. I think when we set off the first nuclear bomb, that raised uh, somebody's interest in, hey, wait a second. Uh, they're reaching a point where not only could they destroy each other, but they can destroy the whole planet, and we can't let that happen. And as you are aware, and your audience, I'm sure, is, uh, is aware of the number of incidents in which UFOs have appeared over uh, uh, missile silos. Missile, yeah. Oh, they've shut them down. Sure. Or just shut them down. Yeah, exactly. So they don't want us to play with the, the nuclear weapons. That's 
quite clear. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.